Hello. I am Kenna. I am Goel. And welcome back to Diagnosing, Diagnosing a Killer. The kind of mental breakdown because it's not really a mental breakdown. No. <laughs> it's mm. a little different. I think that we were on our hiatus and I think that I had a lot of time to think about kind of what I wanted to do and I was back and forth with a bunch of different topics. Mm. But I landed on a really, really interesting topic that I've learned about in multiple of my different psychology courses. I'm sure you know about it. Mm. Listeners, you probably know about it as well. But I think it's just really interesting to kind of break down. Mm. That being said, this is a mental breakdown. It's not a full episode, so it's going to be kind of concise, but I'm going to try to be also kind of detailed in my uh, description. So we are going to be talking about the Stanford Prison Experiment. (gasps) Yes! Oh my god! (laughs) I know! Okay, all right. so wild. Okay, and again... Strap, be, strap my boots on. This will be a short excerpt of what the whole thing entailed. There is numerous documentaries on this. I'm going to name them at the end. There's numerous books you can watch. Watch. There's numerous sure. books you can watch with the I like eyeballs. to watch books because I don't know how to read. <laughs> um, documentaries, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I will mention that at the end. But if you don't know about the uh, Stanford Prison Experiment, strap in. This is how we're going to start. <laughs> in the beginning of August... It is 1971. An ad was published in the Stanford Daily, reading, quote, Male college students needed to participate in psychological study of prison life. $15 per day for one to two weeks, beginning August 14th. For further information and applications, come to room 248 Jordan Hall, Stanford University. $15 a A day? day? Yeah. This was 71? Was that... Let's look up the conversion rate. I want to know. <laughs> I still think that's only like $30, even if it's doubled. It's not that much money. $71 a day. Okay, so it roughly translates Damn. to $105 a day Is today. Is 1971 that long ago? Where Bro, like... it was like 50 years ago. I guess so. 51 years ago, actually. Oh, to be God. <laughs> so, we see this ad in the paper. This was seemingly normal, especially around this time, considering the year. Yeah, especially, and like, I'm a college student, making exactly. a little extra money. The fact that this was published in the school newspaper, no one thought anything of it, except for, oh, maybe it's some kids trying to get some credit. It was published by one of the professors. It can't be anything crazy. Yeah. What the 75-plus applicants and the eventual 24 participants did not realize was that the man that was hosting the experiment, Professor Philip Zimbardo, was going to change their mentalities, lives, and well-being permanently. Dun-dun-dun! I had to set it up like that because I feel cool. (laughs) So I'm going to talk about uh, Professor Zimbardo just a little bit, and then we'll get into the experiment. And experience. And experience. So Philip Zimbardo was born on March 23rd, 1933 in New York City. For the sake of brevity, we're not going to get super deep into his childhood, but when he became of college age, he attended Brooklyn College, where he earned a Bachelor's of Arts in 1954, triple majoring in psychology, sociology, and anthropology. Damn. Right? (laughs) I have a psychology degree and a sociology minor, but not a double degree. That's crazy. That's so much work. It is. He was probably in school for an extra two years just doing that. Yeah. He then went on to earn his Master's of Science and his Ph.D. in 1959 from Yale, both in psychology. 
Wow. So he knows a lot about psychology. Uh, Once he received his degrees and was done with school for good, he used his knowledge to begin teaching at Yale, where he was a professor until 1967. Hmm. Shortly after, he taught at Columbia University, but after only a year, he became a faculty member at Stanford in 1968. Okay. So sometime during 1968 and 1970, Zimbardo was cooking up some thoughts surrounding psychology and specifically the intense impact the human brain can have on your behavior. Mm -hmm. Him and his colleagues were extremely interested in the prison system and especially in finding out whether the brutality reported among prison guards in the U.S. was due to the sadistic personalities of the guards or if it had more to do with the prison environment. Mm -hmm. The main question being, is brutality by guards in prisons dispositional or situational? Mm -hmm. So over these years, Dr. Zimbardo came up with the quote-unquote perfect experiment in order to accurately test this question, and therefore the Stanford Prison Experiment was put into motion. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into it now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about the day of the experiment. Which, already lying, because you said it was going to start on August 14th, and it's August 17th. You liar. You lie. (laughs) You liar. On the morning of August 17th, 1971, 10 college students surrounding the Palo Alto area received visits from local police officers. Without warning, the men were taken out of their homes and arrested for violating penal codes 211 and 459, which were for armed robbery and burglary. Did they not know that they were... So they signed up for it, and they... They signed consent forms, whole nine yards. This was not disclosed to them that this was going to happen. Isn't that illegal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily illegal, but it's unethical. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. These ten men were searched, handcuffed, and forced into the back of genuine police cars. These were the actual police arresting them. They were then transported to the police station, where they were booked fingerprinted, photographed, moved to a holding cell, and eventually blindfolded. Right? It's like a hazing ritual. It's like a frat. Ugh. After waiting for hours, the men were then transferred to the Stanford County Prison, a.k.a. the Stanford University Psychology Department. <laughs> That's where it actually was. So they were in the prison. I love that. <laughs> now, if it's not already clear, these men were voluntarily participating in this study However, the selection of who was going to be a, quote, prisoner and who would be a, quote, guard was completely random and decided by only a coin flip. Oh, wow. All of the applicants were given extensive tests, including family history, psychological problems, medical issues, disabilities, history of crime, drug use, etc. Out of the 75 applicants, the 24 who were believed to be the most fit, quote, unquote, in relation to physical and mental maturity and health, were chosen to participate. Oh, wow. So it's so like... So they did extensive psychological tests to make sure you're not already schizophrenic and then you... Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, so these participants did not know one another prior to the experiment, and they were told very little about what they were going to be do- doing during the experiment. Mm-hmm. Mostly because Dr. Zimbardo didn't know himself. Yeah. he was going to leave it to them to fucking figure it out. That's yeah. terrifying. So there wasn't, like, a write-up of some kind that was there like, was. this is what we're going to do, and this is how... I'll get into that later on okay. once I'm done with the story, because it'll explain mm-hmm. a little bit more about that. All 24 participants were evenly divided into the roles of prisoner and guard, so 12 and 12. However, before the experiment began, three of the participants declined to move forward, leaving 10 prisoners and 11 guards. Okay, what so- happened to the the... They just said that they didn't want to do it? I think one of them was like, no. And then the other two, it said something. I tried to look it up and it didn't. It was like on reserve or something. So I don't know if they gave them another test and they decided 
maybe these people aren't the right fit. Yeah. Or they were like on the fence and so they were like, you know, it just sit out. But they didn't it didn't say that they declined the okay. you know what I mean to participate. Yeah. It was kind of odd. And I tried to look it up, but it didn't make sense. Now when the quote prisoners, this is the last time I'm gonna say quote, because obviously they're not real prisoners. I want that to be clear, but I'm not gonna mm-hmm. say quote every time. When the prisoners arrived, they were stripped naked, deloused, and had all of their personal belongings taken away from them and locked in a separate room, very similar to a real prison. They were each given prison clothing and bedding and issued a uniform. Hmm. In addition, they were only referred to by their prison number at this time and moving forward. Oh my god. Dr. Zambardo said the intention behind referring to the 10 men by ID numbers only was to make them feel anonymous. Right. In addition to having to be referred to by the numbers, they were only allowed to refer to themselves by that number as well what? and to other prisoners. They couldn't even, like, use their last names or anything? No. Just the So numbers. they weren't going to talk... So, again, to, like, you're just... Dehumanized. Like, to, yeah. Yeah. So even when they talked about each other, they could only use their numbers. Mm-hmm. <gasps> the clothes the prisoners wore were smocks with their ID numbers on them, but they had nothing underneath. They didn't give them any undergarments. They were also required to wear a tight nylon cap over their heads, kind of like a tight hairnet so that their hair was covered. And they each had a locked chain around one ankle. So like no identifying features like their hair yeah. would be like considered like an identifier. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the any of the documentaries or the movie or anything, but they, like, recreate this, like, really, really well. Mm. On the other end of the participants, the guards were dressed in an identical khaki uniform. Each of them carried a whistle around their necks and what they called a billy club that are real from the police, so, like, a baton. The police donated these batons for the time being for them to actually use. (sighs) Unethical. (laughs) Sorry. Zimbardo's a lunatic. Literally. (laughs) On top of these items, this is wild to me. The guards were also required to wear sunglasses at all times. Why? To avoid them making eye contact with any of the prisoners. So they couldn't look at them in the eye and have that connection. (sighs) So the prisoners couldn't see their eyes. Well, and the fact that they're all wearing the same uniform, right, as well, is like this immediate front. Yeah. An authoritative. Like, we're an authoritative team, and you guys are... Oh, God. Isn't that so That creepy? grinds my gears. So, this is how it worked. Three guards at a time worked shifts of eight hours, while the other guards remained on call in a secluded area. So, they weren't actually working, but they couldn't leave. Okay. The guards were given very loose rules. Do whatever you think is necessary to maintain law and order in the prison and command the respect of the officers. Okay. Physical violence, however, was not permitted. So your goal is to make them respect you and do whatever you need to do without physical violence to make them respect you. This is where it gets fucking wild. (laughs) For Dr. Zimbardo, not only did he observe the behavior of the prisoners and guards, you know, like the person putting on the experiment, like a psychologist, Mm -hmm. he also acted as the prison warden. Oh, of course so he's he would. joining his own experiment. That is so against it ethics, is. and that is a huge red flag. Yeah. <laughs> no one saw that. He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna watch the experiment, oversee it, but I'm also gonna get involved." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, "All right, everybody, we're gonna play house. All right, you be the mom, like, you be seriously. the dad, and I'll be the plumber." You know, like, <laughs> Within a very short time, the prisoners and guards were settling into their roles, just like a real prison would be run. With very little direction, mind you. No one's going in there telling them what to do. They all said, here we are. You're the guards. You're the prisoners. Make them respect you. And then they left. Mm -hmm. All they had was cameras to watch and they weren't even in the room. 
What? Like, they weren't even, like... The people, like, the psychologists setting the experiment up were not even in the room most of the time. That's so weird. Yeah. So it's literally... It's like a... It's like a... Like a hamster in a maze. Literally. That's so weird. Well, the guards had an especially easy time moving into their roles. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Within hours of the experiment beginning, the guards began harassing the prisoners. Around 2.30 a.m. on the first night, the prisoners were awakened by whistles for the first of many counts through the night. According to the guards, the counts served as a way for the prisoners to memorize their numbers, but more importantly, it provided the guards with many opportunities to showcase their control over the prisoners. So what do you mean, like, they would use their whistles like they... They would wake them up and uh-huh. make them count and tell them their name and make tell them, like, hey, I'm here or whatever. And they did that multiple times at night. Like to, a roll call yes, type thing? Okay, yes. okay. To prove, pretty much, we can do whatever we want yeah. to do and you have to listen to us. Interestingly enough, the prisoners seemed to quickly adopt prisoner-like behavior as well. They talked amongst themselves about prison issues quite frequently and even told on other prisoners to the guards to gain their trust and their privileges. So they started acting very quickly within the yeah. first 24 hours like real prisoners would. So it was like, they okay, so like they wanted to gain the trust of the, of the officers. Of the so they would like rat other mm-hmm. prisoners out? Or they say he's not listening to, or whatever, he didn't do this or he didn't do that to gain that, hey, I'm, I'm on your side, like I'm here. Wow. They began to take the prison rules very seriously and some even began siding with the guards when other prisoners didn't listen or acted out. Isn't that wild? Without any direction or any influence besides the guards. I mean, I guess, like, in your mind, like, let's be honest, the prisoners get the shit into the stick. They do. In this experiment, right? But in your mind, you're also, like, I'm, but I'm still human. Like, I'm human and you're human Mm -hmm. and we can identify as humans. Like, so, oh, that's just incredible. Now, although violence was not permitted for the guards, there was nothing against the rules when it came to physical punishment. The prisoners were frequently given pointless and boring tasks to accomplish, along with insults and taunting, generally dehumanizing them. Mm -hmm. Along with this, push-ups seemed to be the most common form of physical punishment imposed by the guards. One guard even going so far as to step on their backs when they were doing push-ups or having other prisoners sit on their backs in order to increase the difficulty. And they just did it. Because (sighs) this is the whole experiment. This is what Dr. Zimbardo wants to see. Mm. Will you re- will you respect authority when it's in there? And is it because these guys are assholes or is it because of the situation? Right. Yeah. Although the first long day passed without any incidents, the prisoners were slowly beginning to have enough. I mean, you have to think about the fact that they're not here because they're in prison. They're yeah. here voluntarily. Yeah. They can leave anytime they want. Right. They're only making $15 a day. <laughs> you know how, at what point does it not become worth it? Right. On the second day of the experiment, the prisoners decided to fight back. They removed their stocking caps, ripped off their numbers, and barricaded themselves inside their individual cells by putting their beds up against the door. What? So no one could come in. Well, they outnumbered the guards because there was only three guards on duty, mm-hmm. so they called three more that were on standby. The guards retaliated by using a fire extinguisher shooting a stream of carbon dioxide into the cells, which obviously was cold as shit on their skin, and forced them back against the walls. After the prisoners were at bay, the guards broke into each cell, stripped them all naked, and took each bed out of the cells entirely. So they don't have clothes or a bed anymore. This sounds like a movie. It sounds like Shawshank. Yeah. Like, that's... 
The ringleader of the rebellion, the prisoner, was placed into, quote, solitary, which ended up being, like, a little tiny closet that didn't have, you know, air or light or (laughs) anything. They made their own solitary? They did. Oh, God. And the guards began to harass the rest of the prisoners. On the other end of the riot, the prisoners that did not participate or participated the least were given special privileges, including getting their uniforms and their beds back, allowing them to wash their hair and brush their teeth. And on top of this, they even got to eat special food in front of the other prisoners who had temporarily lost the privilege privilege of eating. Was it like Popeyes? I don't know what it was. (laughs) (laughs) This was an attempt by the guards, of course, to break the solidarity among the rebellious prisoners. Not only did the riot cause the first consequences, but over a few days, the relationship between the guards and the prisoners began to change, Mm. of course. Dr. Zimbardo noticed that as the prisoners became more dependent on the guards, the guards became more derisive towards them. Mm. As the guards' contempt for them grew, the prisoners became even more submissive. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the opposite. After the prisoners were submissive enough, the guards became even more assertive and aggressive. You're already listening to me. Why are you going to be more rude? Yeah. So I guess they felt like they had more control or they had more, I don't know. Like, so they're going to keep using it. Yeah. They demanded even greater obedience from the prisoners. And since the prisoners were so dependent on the guards for every little thing, they would continuously find ways to please them, such as telling on other prisoners like they were earlier. Mm-hmm. This continued through the second day and into the third. Oh, the third day of God. <laughs> this is supposed to last for two weeks and it's only oh the third day. Oh my God, no. This is where the turning point happens. Less than 36 hours into the experiment, prisoner number 8612, I don't know his real name, it wasn't in there. Nobody does. Probably not. You're you're not the only one. Yeah. He began experiencing acute emotional disturbance, disorganized thinking, rage, and uncontrollable crying. What? This this breaks my heart. so sad. Oh, it gets worse. The guards brought him in front of the other prisoners in an attempt to console him, but really embarrass him. They told him he was weak, and they offered him, quote, informant status. I guess that means he would have an easier time than the others. Maybe he would be on his own, but still in the experiment. I'm not really sure what that meant. Well, they're making up their own rules at exactly. this point. But he didn't really get that far, so it's fine. Uh, number 8612 was noted as returning to the other prisoners and telling them, you can't leave, you can't quit, which is very odd. Yeah. He's being embarrassed in front of everyone offered he's being offered to leave and he's Mm -hmm. telling the other guys don't break like you can't leave hmm soon after this according to dr zimbardo number 8612 began to act quote crazy great word for my psychologist am i right and began to scream curse and went into a rage that seemed out of control it wasn't until this point that Dr. Zimbardo and the other psychologists running the experiment realized they should probably let him out. Yeah. Yeah. Before he hurt someone or himself. And then there were nine. They let him go. Oh, wow. Because he had every right to go from the beginning. Yeah. Because he's he not actually in prison. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess you forget. The next day, so this is day four, the guards held a visiting hour for parents and friends of the, of the uh, inmates. Oh, no. That's awful. Well, they began to get worried that when the families saw that the state of the prison they were in, they would want to take their children out of there yeah. because they don't have to be there. Because they also don't have to be there. <laughs> they can very much just walk out. This being the worry, the guards washed the prisoners, they bathed them, they had them clean and polished their own cells, and they fed them a real big dinner, and everyone was happy, and they played music over the intercom to make, like, everything light and yippy-skippy. <laughs> this is still at the school, right? This yes. is not a real jail. Yes. Oh, my God. After the visit with parents and friends... 
no one really said anything. They were like, oh, this is all yippies can be fine and dandy. So that means the prisoners didn't say anything, at least not anything alarming enough for the right. parents to be like, what the fuck? What are you doing here? Isn't that terrible? Can't you just come home? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> After the visit with parents and friends, a rumor spread of a mass escape plan by the prisoners. <gasps> the guards became fearful that they would lose the prisoners... So they enlisted the help of the actual Palo Alto Police Department. Are you serious? <laughs> I swear to God. Holy shit. They didn't show up. Don't worry. Okay, yeah. They were like, we have real things like, to do. Really? <laughs> so to just go hang out at the college. What right? are you doing? Bro. The guards yet again escalated the level of harassment, forcing the prisoners to do repetitive, tedious work, such as clean toilets with their bare hands, which is really at this point, Dr. Zimbardo was just not satisfied with the realism of the study. It so wasn't real enough? No, it wasn't real enough. Or he didn't re- he didn't know how real it was, or it could be, or did he ins- if it could be worse. Did he install a, an electrocution chair? I right? <laughs> All right, now you're on death row for breathing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for breathing. He enlisted the help of a Catholic priest that was actually a prior prison chaplain, to evaluate how realistic the pr- uh, prison situation actually was. The chaplain interviewed each of the prisoners individually. Yeah. In which half of them introduced them to him by their number. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Right. <sighs> it was later found out that the priest told the inmates the only way they would get out was with the help of a lawyer. Oh, that's so messed up. Because he's like, this is fucked. One of the prisoners that the priest spoke with, number 819, broke down during their conversation and began to cry hysterically. After this meeting, the psychologist running the study removed the chain from his foot, took the cap off his head, and told him to go and rest in a room that was adjacent to the prison yard. Mm -hmm. They told him they would get him some food and then take him to see a doctor, because he was clearly having a crisis. While this was being arranged, one of the guards got wind about what was happening and lined up all the other prisoners and had them chant out loud, quote, prisoner number 819 is a bad prisoner. Because of what prisoner number 819 did, my cell is a mess, Mr. Correctional Officer. Apparently, the guards had tossed each of their cells because of the crying and told the other prisoners that it was that guy's fault because he was crying and hysterical, that their cells were messed up. This is breaking my brain, and I'm just listening to it. Isn't it wild? Ugh. I mean, the documentary, I was in tears. Like, And it's it's fake. Like, it's a re- yeah. reenactment. Right. The psychologist quickly realized that prisoner number 819 could hear the chanting, so they went into the room to check on him, where they found him sobbing uncontrollably. Ugh, so they tried to get him to leave the experiment, but he said he could not leave because the others had labeled him as a bad prisoner. I so he was afraid to go chills. back? Like he was he afraid, was afraid to... to leave the place. Because he felt like... Like he's a bad prisoner. Like he did something that bad and he's actually in prison. He was brainwashed. He thought he was really in prison. Oh, that's so sad. In response to this, Dr. Zimbardo said, quote, Listen, you are not number 819. You are... Insert his name. I don't mm. know it. And my name is Dr. Zimbardo. I am a psychologist, not a prison superintendent, and this is not a real prison. This is just an experiment, and those are students, not prisoners, just like you. Let's go. End quote. According to Dr. Zimbardo, the student stopped crying suddenly, looked up, and replied, Okay, let's go, as if nothing had been wrong. 
Talk about a mental breakdown. Straight up. Like, that is so dissociated from reality. Like, it's so sad. Do these poor people get counseling afterwards? They have to. Lest they be sued. Now, Dr. Zimbardo had originally planned for the experiment to last two weeks, like I said. But after only six days, it was terminated due to the emotional breakdowns of prisoners and excessive aggravation of the guards. Oh, my gosh. Another factor of the decision to terminate was when Dr. Christina Maslach was brought in to conduct interviews with the guards and prisoners and strongly objected when she saw that the prisoners were being abused by the guards. Duh. She was absolutely outraged, and she's quoted as saying, quote, It is terrible what you were doing to these boys. It's noted that out of 50 or more outsiders who had seen the inside of the prison, she is the only one who ever questioned its morality. What? Who else was going in and out? I mean, the the family and friends. Oh, the family and friends. Yeah. And I'm sure a number of psychologists that's homies with Dr. Zimbardo. So, complete side note, we just paused for just a second and Coel just looked it up and Dr. Zimbardo got married to that lady that was outraged. (laughs) Like a year later. Maslitch. Maslitch. That's so wild. (laughs) <laughs> like a year later he was married when the experiment went on well it's yeah he was married her. in night i know but that, that's just like you know this is unethical you can't do this marry me he's like what a role play <laughs> what a role play you be the mom i'll be the dad <laughs> exactly <laughs> and he'll be the plumber <laughs> so it wasn't until over 30 years later in 2008 that zimbardo finally noted quote it wasn't until much later that I realized how far into my prison road I was at that point, that I was thinking like a prison superintendent rather than a research psychologist. Aww. Who saw that one coming? Who saw that? <laughs> when you put yourself in the fucking experiment. <laughs> Who saw that happening? Seriously. <laughs> According to Zimbardo and his colleagues, the Stanford Prison Experiment revealed how people will readily conform to the social roles they are expected to play, especially if the rules are as strongly stereotyped as those of the prison guards. Because the guards were placed in a position of authority, they began to act in ways they would not usually behave in their normal lives. That does sound interesting, you know, that the stereotype plays into that. Because you're acting, or you feel like you're in this role, and that's just really intense. Or same with a prisoner. Like, you would feel like you're okay, I have to do what this guy says Mm -hmm. because that's my role as a prisoner or a stereotype of a prisoner. The prison environment was an important factor in creating the guards' brutal behavior because it was noted that none of the participants who acted as guards showed any sadistic tendencies before the study, and the finding was therefore supportive of the situational theory rather than the dispositional one, like we Mm -hmm. said earlier. Yeah. Um, Along with that conclusion, Zimbardo also proposed that two processes can explain the prisoner's, quote, final submission. So the first one being D, it's called de-individuation. It says this may explain the behavior of the participants, especially the guards. This is a state where you become so immersed in the norms of the group that you lose your sense of identity and personal responsibility. The guards may have been so sadistic because they did not feel what happened was done to them personally, but rather it was a group norm. They may have lost their sense of personal identity because of the uniform that they wore. Hmm. So it's not like, I'm the one doing this, we are doing this, right. so it's okay. Yeah, and that that is interesting as well, Like, uh, which I guess you can also kind of say for the prisoners, because they were also somewhat in a uniform, but they had different uh, names, I guess, like the yeah, numbers. Yeah, the numbers. But for the uh, officers, quote-unquote officers, the prison guards, that that absolutely is like, we have a sense of individual individualism. But we also wear the same uniform. We yeah. also, you know, so we have the upper hand because you are 
lower or yeah. you're, you know, you're lower than us. So we still have, we have free thought. You yeah. do not. Well, that's interesting that you say that because the second process that he said was called learned helplessness. Hmm. He says this could explain the prisoner's submission to the guards. The prisoners learned that whatever they did had little effect on what happened to them. In the mock prison, the unpredictable decisions of the guards led the prisoners to give up responding entirely. Because they always were changing it. Yeah. So no matter what I do, I don't know what's going to happen. I might as well just submit. That's now, after the experiment, Zimbardo interviewed the participants. I don't know how he was allowed to interview them again, but he did. <laughs> oh, one of them didn't strangle him to death? Literally. Quote, most of the participants said they had felt involved and committed. The research had felt real to them. One guard said, quote, I was surprised at myself. I made them call each other names and clean the toilets out with their bare hands. I practically considered the prisoners cattle, and I kept thinking I had to watch out for them in case they tried something. Another guard said, quote, acting authoritatively can be fun. Power can be a great pleasure. And another, quote, during the inspection, I went to cell two to mess up a bed which a prisoner had just made, and he grabbed me, screaming that he had just made it and that he was not going to let me mess it up. He grabbed me by the throat, and although he was laughing, I was pretty scared. I lashed out with my stick and hit him on the chin, although not very hard, and when I freed myself, I became angry. So it's like, like, that's, that's real. Scary. Like, he could have strangled you to death. Yeah. Because of this, like, experiment, you know? A surprising thing about the experiment is that most of the guards found it hard to believe the way they behaved was really as bad as it was. Mm -hmm. Many said they did not think they were capable of the things that they did in the experiment. And of course, everything was on tape, so they were able to watch it back. The prisoners said similar things, interestingly. They said that they couldn't believe that they had responded in the submissive, cowering, dependent way that they had. And they said that they had been assertive types before the experiment. When the prisoners were asked about the guards' behavior, they prescribed the three usual stereotypes that can be found in any prison. Some guards were good, some guards were tough but fair, and some guards were very cruel. Another theory that Zimbardo explained could make sense of the experiment is describing it in terms of reinforcement, as the escalation of the aggression in the guards could be seen as being due to the positive reinforcement of the prisoners' actions. I'm going to get more mad because the more mad I get, the better you do. Right. Most of the guards later in the interviews claimed that they were simply acting during the experiment, and the psychologist agreed that because the guards and prisoners were playing a role, their behavior may not have been influenced by the same factors which affect behavior in real life. Mm -hmm. This being said, this means that the study's findings could not be reasonably generalized to real life, such as prison settings, and therefore the study has a low validity to a real-life setting. So that, it's, that does make it makes, sense. It's similar... But it's not 100% this is why it'll happen or this is how it happens. Right. So, it, like like you said, situationally it could be different, but maybe psychologically there is some truth or balance to yeah. that, right? In a, in a weird way. Yeah. The fact that this was an experiment means that 90% of the prisoners' private conversations were still being monitored by the experimenters, so it didn't exactly mimic a real prison setting. And the guards as well didn't necessarily have time to interact with personal information during their breaks. And at that time, they actually used it to discuss the problematic prisoners or they simply didn't talk at all. One last thing I want to talk about before we conclude, um, and that's the ethical issues surrounding this experiment. This mm -hmm. experiment has widely been known as one of the most unethical experience that, experiments that used human participants mm -hmm. to ever be held. They received very many criticisms throughout many of the years after the experiment, and this is still being used today in psychology courses as an example of what not to do. Yes. <laughs> I, I probably watched this, like I said, like three or four different classes. Um, some of the criticisms include the participants not being fully informed of what was going to happen. This is what we talked about earlier in the beginning. In reality, Dr. Zimbardo himself did not even know what was going to happen. Yeah. 
Also, the prisoners didn't ever consent to being arrested at home. They were not told, partially because the final approval from the police was not given until minutes before the participants decided to participate, and partly because Dr. Zimbardo wanted the arrest to come as a surprise, which is fucked up. But, like, give your police department a fucking heads up. Like, call and say, like, hey, in case anybody thinks that somebody's being kidnapped or whatever yeah. it is, like, I, it, like... They probably didn't even know. They didn't even know. And what if these what guys were, were like, no, you can't keep me to jail. I'm going to this experiment. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know I mean? like, they don't even know. Yeah, what if somebody ran and then got, like, real charges? Seriously. Or, so- or something? Yeah. Or some somebody got shot, heaven forbid, or something. You know, like... Either Fuck. way, both of these were breaches so of the ethics dumb. of Dr. Zimbardo's own contract that the participants all had signed before the experiment. So they definitely had a case after this was all over. Oh, of <laughs> the course, priest yeah, was yeah. correct. <laughs> Another it breach was the chaplain right? who ratted them all out. Another breach of contract comes with participants playing the roles of prisoners not being protected from psychological harm. Although this experiment was not 100% ethical or even moral, Dr. Zimbardo still stands by the fact that the benefits gained about our understanding of human behavior and how we improve society should be Outba- should outbalance the distress caused by the study. Mm. I agree. There's a lot of stuff we learn from the study, but not at the expense of these of chill- like literally people that some of these people were under 25. Like yeah. that's ridiculous. Lab rats. And also, I was just gonna say real quick. Um, there's another experience experiment. I'm sure you've heard about it, and listeners, you might have heard about it as well. It's the one. I don't know what it, what it's called, and it was on here, but I didn't put it in here. It was the one where um, the people the people that were the partici- participants were expected. I'm sorry, were made to believe that they were electrocuting someone on the other yes. side of the door. You know yes. what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it was, um, like, scary was... how much they were willing to turn up the they, electricity, yes. thinking they were hurting someone on the other side yes. of the door. Because Just because thought... someone in a lab coat tells them to. Well, they were saying, uh, well, yeah, it's it's you are supposed to zap, and then you're supposed to get zapped. But your zap is never, mo- like, more or less than theirs. So, or the supposed one. So it's yeah. like, like, like a hand buzzer, basically. Yeah. So they feel like they get jolted and then they want to do it back, but they're not actually shocking anybody else. And so it's and like, they okay, they're going to like death levels, like death levels, yeah. like, and they think that they're doing it, you know, and yeah. some people just do it for fun, but most often people do it in retaliation. Yeah. Because they think that they're getting zapped or whatever. <sighs> so wild. Yeah. Now, uh, this study was the acknowledged inspiration for Das Experiment. It was a 2001 German movie that was remade in the United States as the direct-to-video film The Experiment in 2010. Mm-hmm. And then there's one called The Stanford Prison Experiment, Cut and Dry 2015, which is the one that I've seen. And that was created with Dr. Zimbardo's active participation uh yeah i don't know why um it was me i did it yeah i was there i did it all that's the one that you would want to watch if you want more like actual events because he's in it like he gives you like facts and stuff so that's the stanford prison experiment i'll put that in the show notes i love a good documentary it's really good and but it's a reenactment it's not a documentary like it's it doesn't it's like a movie like it doesn't oh well that's not a a narrator well maybe it's not a documentary i don't know it would be like a like autobiographical or something Now, since the famous prison experiment, Zimbardo has continued to conduct research on a variety of topics, including shyness, cult behavior, and heroism. He has authored and co-authored numerous books, including some that are widely used in university-level psych courses. I mean, the dude is kind of a genius, but he's unethical. But he's also like a mad scientist. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, in 2002, Dr. Zimbardo was elected president of the American Psychological Association, which is wild, and... <laughs> Because that's the APA, but there's two APAs. There's the psycho- uh, psychological and then the psychiatric. The psychiatric is the one that writes the DSM. So it's like very close. Damn. Up there. 
After more than 50 years of teaching, Dr. Zimbardo retired from Stanford in 2003, but gave his last quote. They didn't fire him after this? No. He still worked there? Yes. Did they ever file a lawsuit? No. I don't think so. Why not? Because, I don't know. (laughs) Because they signed consent forms? Literally. Oh, that's horrifying. Well, I think what it is is that... The whole thing is, it's not illegal, but it's unethical. It's not illegal, but yeah, it's unethical, which is terrible. That is awful. Um, but today, he continues to work as the director of the Heroic Imagination Project. The He's organization- still alive! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. He's 89! So, he is 89 years old. Holy and shit. And he continues to work as the director of the Heroic Imagination Project, uh, which promotes research, education, and media initiatives designed to inspire ordinary people to act as heroes and agents of social change. <laughs> he should have acted as a fucking hero when these people were, like, literally having mental breakdowns. <laughs> Anyways, that's my mental breakdown. Yay! <laughs> not that crazy? bizarre? I'm gonna put those names of those uh, movies in the show notes, and then I'll also put the uh, websites that I got my research off of, just in case anybody wants to go and read more, because that was really, like, kind of a short version of, like, all the little details that happened. I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure but there's a lot God, to man, it. It's just, like, I really wanted to do this, and I started researching, and I was like, oh my god, this is so good, I need to put this in here, so glad that I did that. And thank you guys for listening, and we will be back uh, next week with another case. I loved that. I thought that was really cool, honestly. Like, and then maybe interesting to do other cases that are kind of similar to yeah, that. Like, where you talk about yeah, yeah something cool. like that. Who developed it and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. No spoilers. Okay. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye!